um, at the Extreme Hangout. Really proud to be here on this panel. My name is Philip Glanville. I'm the elected mayor of Hackney uh, and also chair of Transport and Environment Committee at London Councils. What's your biggest takeaway from all of this? I think the commonality of everything that people have been saying about the role of community and local place and that if we don't have the powers and funding to work with whether it's young people into generational projects, getting to net zero, uh, we as I said at the start, the societal changes that we want to see and the hunger for change that's been in this room and that are back in our communities that we represent. Um, and all too often what happens in the blue zone, what nations are pledging and deciding and negotiating is sort of lowest common denominator and doesn't meet the aspirations of the communities that want to see real change on the ground where they live. My name's Esther O'Callaghan, I'm the founder of Hundo.careers, a youth employment tech platform uh, to support more young people into uh, better paid jobs and careers, um, including in the green sector. Uh, I think I've taken away what I always take away, which is I think we should turn over all the power and decision making to young people. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like know, a good move. I know it's quite extreme, but we are in the extreme hangout, so... <laughs> and you were, you were sort of you know, advocating a sort of a balance, I guess, of uh, action and involvement. Yeah, you need both. Um, you need both. Um, I think it's not, there isn't one silver bullet to this and it's going to take a combination of push and pull. Yeah. Fantastic. So, how's COP been for you? Busy, busy, productive, exhausting, and, uh, but um, I'm going to remain optimistic. Oh, yeah. And do you feel youth has been heard properly or they've just been a photo opportunity at COP26? No, they're not heard properly because they need to be in the decision-making rooms. Um, they need to be with the negotiators. They need to be in advance of COP having the decisions, uh, but sorry, being in the room where the decisions are being made. And until that happens, I think it's going to be really difficult to effect meaningful change for them. And so we're in the closing hours of this COP. Do you think it's delivering what youth want to see or it's still falling way short? I don't feel I'm qualified to comment, um, but I hope for the best. I think that anything that we get from it is better than doing nothing at all. Yeah, so my name is Mete Koban. I'm the cabinet member in Hackney for Energy Waste, Transport and Public Realm, leading our response to tackle the climate crisis. And I also lead My Life, My Say, which is a charity aimed at empowering young people to participate in democracy. Great session just now. Uh, and in many respects, as we come to the end of COP26, I guess summing up that whole range of uh, emotions here. Maybe, maybe starting at that, that we are at the end of COP26, you know, what's your impression of, of, of the mood at the moment? So I think in one hand it's fantastic to see so much energy, passion, uh, particularly from young people around wanting to sort of do more for their communities and to change the world. I think my one bit of, I guess, you know, reflection is it's almost like COP26 has been built up to see just one moment and if we don't achieve nothing by then then it's all over and done and the conversation stops and I think of course COP26 is a big moment but I don't think that we should it's almost like you know we we feel defeated if nothing happens at this at this conference um, so I think we need to continue that energy and passion beyond COP26 and hopefully you know really build on some of that great piece of activism that we have seen. I guess to kind of phrase climate change isn't just for COP26. Exactly it doesn't stop at <laughs> COP26 and it needs to continue. But it's been an important moment and there does seem to have been some good progress uh, and a sense, I guess, of heading in the right direction, even though everyone's eager for, for a faster pace. Yeah, I, f I think, you know, it, the progress we need to see, see needs to start local and it's that think global, act local. And the panel that we just had now, which was all about, you know, building greener cities, what we need to do is we need 
more finances and more resources and um, more resources and more powers to be able to act locally um, so but the reality is look we're not going to sit around and wait 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 for governments to do things for us you know what we've done in Hackney for example uh, through my role is you know we planted two and a half thousand street trees and over the past two three years we've switched the council's energy supply to 100% renewable energy we've installed we've just come out of a commitment of 3,000 electric vehicle installations by 2030 you know we've committed to the World Health Organization's targets on particular matter by um, 2030 uh, we've installed 48 school streets, which is the highest in the country, 16 low traffic neighbourhood schemes. You know, we're doing a lot locally to tackle the climate crisis and we're going to continue to do that. Of course, we need, you know, particularly around like retrofit, for example, which obviously costs a lot of money. We need support from the council. You know, we've, we've just announced a £2 million investment into a green homes programme, which looks at supporting residents around shifting to... Um, you know, solar energy and, and you know, replacing the gas boilers, etc. Uh, but we need to be able to act. So whatever comes out of COP26 will happen. But, you know, what people should know is, is that there are councillors and politicians out there who will do all they can in their powers to try to sort of tackle the climate crisis. And, and cities have actually led around the world, as well as, you know, Hackney and others. They've, they've got on and put in whatever measures they're able to. Uh, and I've actually been quite pioneering that they've, they've not waited for government big national government anyway well yeah I mean you, you hear you heard that from the panel today you know particularly around sort of like some of our transport schemes uh, you know we've just launched the first ever UK car, cargo bike sharing scheme which is we, we have cargo bikes but it's about supporting our local businesses small businesses and residents to move goods around uh, their sort of their neighborhoods by reducing their transport emissions so you need sort of the you know, like I think the problem with the climate change debate is it's sort of seen as a sort of restrictive debate. What we need to do is excite communities around why it's actually good to sort of move greener. And that's about creating a green dividend for people, which is around look better jobs and really trying to define and quantify that. Two, it's around cleaner air, for example. And three, it's about lowering your energy bills. And we need to give practical examples like that of how, you know, shift to a much more greener and cleaner world is better for everyone. You're absolutely right. And I guess... Um it's getting that motivation to every resident in a, in a, in a council's area. Um, that there's little things everybody can do that add up. There is, yeah. And, you know, like ultimately, you know, like, for example, if you take a local authority, maybe councils directly account for 5% of emissions, indirectly maybe 23% to 25%. The rest of it is down to all of us individually around how we you know, the way in which we dress and what we buy in terms of our fashion, in terms of what we eat, how much we travel and how we travel. So how we sort our own waste, for example, and, you know, the idea of, you know, circular economy is going to be particularly important in this context as well. So I think ultimately it's going to require all of us to change our actions. I think what's really important in order to do this in an amicable way and do it in a way where we're not sort of, uh, you know, like make it, I think it's important that we don't shame people their behaviors and i think it's a journey it's around that climate literacy which we heard out the panel as well so we've got a lot of work to do to do to sort of improve cl climate literacy and get it out there to as many communities which is going to ultimately in turn go back to your question which is around how people will start shifting their behaviors and uh i don't know as you as you head back do you feel cop 26 will have had an impact on the public i mean it's been very high profile will it sort of help you to to bring the public in hackney along with you a bit more Absolutely. I think COP26, you know, even before COP26, I think in the lean up to COP26, we saw a massive sort of energy around there. And I think it gives us the sort of the, you know, it creates the room for those conversations to happen in the communities 
which then allow us and give us the support we need as politicians to go out and act. Um, so I think, you know, one of the things that we're quite clear in Hackney is, is the COP com the conversation doesn't stop at COP. So following uh, COP, we're going to have a Citizens' Assembly in January. Uh, we've got a whole package of engagement activities planned uh, with schools as we sort of plan to put together our climate action plan, which is going to be sort of the strategic framework for the council to set out our plan on how we plan to tackle the climate crisis. Um, so I think, yeah, you know, like I think COP's been incredibly helpful. And I think that's the thing with COP, like moments like COP is they're there to give you that extra boost of energy. But I think it's really important that we realise that it's not the end point. It's sort of, it's a moment that gives us an extra boost and then we keep going. Putting your council hat on one side, I know yeah. you, you mentioned the other uh, yeah, my life, my charity. What, uh, what about that? What, what's its work doing? Yeah, so My Life, My Say focuses on really amplifying youth voices, but also trying to encourage young people to participate in democracy. So whether that's voting, taking part in a petition, uh, whether it's trying to bring together young people and decision makers to sort of have a conversation around specific policy areas. Uh, so we specialise for a project that we call uh, Democracy Cafe, which is a partnership we have with Starbucks. And the idea is to sort of reinvigorate the 17th century concept of talking about politics or issues in the community over coffee. Um, and we've had over 500 of these democracy cafes across the country since 2015, more than 80% outside of London, 14 across Europe, um, and a few in the United States too. And the whole purpose is really is to create conversations in a way where it's not a panel of experts talking to a group of young people about the issues that affect them, but everyone is a speaker. And at the same time as well, you don't feel like you have to wear a suit to talk about politics. And you also don't feel like you're under pressure or you have to have some sort of knowledge to talk about these issues. Um, so that's one of the things that we do. And we do lots of stuff around voter registration. So it's all about trying to get young people to realise the power of their voice and for us as an organisation to amplify it. And I guess to encourage and attract good youth talent and contribution rather than alienate it or scare it away or not be accessible yeah exactly and one of the things that we know is is that we know young people do care about issues of course they care about whether they've got a decent roof over their shoulders of course of course they care about whether they've got a job that pays them basic respect and decency it's not that they don't care about these issues the problem is is whether they see traditional forms of politics as a vehicle to address the issues that they care about and part of the reasons why they don't is one because we're not educated about how democracy works in the uk two is because we know that there's an issue of representation so when I stood to be a councillor I was 21 the average age of a councillor in the UK was 66 so we clearly have an issue of representation not just for young people but for women for ethnic minorities for people from disability communities and you know it's important to have people who represent you who look and sound like you and obviously class plays a big role as well and then of course um, the other reason is because you know politicians sometimes don't help themselves by making promises and not delivering which end up putting people off so I think people do care young people do care especially like with Brexit with everything that's happening with climate change you know the Scottish referendum you speak to young people in Scotland so I think depending on where you go young people are much more politicized now more than ever it's now about how do we kind of harness that energy and put it into something that's much more positive it sounds like you're very motivated by all of this you, you, you know it's almost like a personal mission yeah, so I've been doing this work now since the age of like 14. Partly the reason why is because where I'm brought up in Hackney, you know, still is one of the most deprived boroughs in the UK. Uh, when I was growing up, you know, I often felt powerless. I often felt neglected. I often felt like my voice didn't matter. Um, you know, no one in the country cared about us. I couldn't go to school in my own borough because all the schools were shut down. And, you know, you, you had this constant negative sort of stereotype that sort of surrounded you from being from Hackney. 
And, you know, for me, you know, Hackney's transformed massively over the past 20 years. It's now sort of the home of the tech hub. You know, it's known as the hipster part of London. And, you know, for me, one of the, one of the things I'm most passionate about, which is why I stood to be a councillor, was because I wanted to make sure that in that transition, local people benefited from that, from that growth, that economic growth, prosperity. And, you know, and it plays, you know, everything that I do with my life, my say, is all about trying to give a voice to people who often feel neglected. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. I mean, it would have been so easy to become jaundiced and cynical. Um, what was it that drove you on like this? It, was it a, a belief that, you know, uh, that things could change? <laughs> it's actually a funny story. So I used to, um, I mean, you could probably tell, I mean, like I'm quite, a, I like debating. Um, so when I was in school, I, w- I would debate quite a lot. And one of my teachers, um, she was a, a Labour Party member. And she said to me, Mete, look, I'm going to tell you something, but don't tell anyone in school, otherwise I'll lose my job. Uh, and I said, what's that, Miss Cooper? And she goes to me, you know, why don't you go and join the Labour Party? And I was 14. Um, so, she, so I joined the Labour Party, went to my first meeting, um, which was an experience, and I didn't go back for another two years. Um, but yeah, I think when I was, I mean, even now, like, you know, I think when I was first standing to be a candidate, for example, I, I felt very fearless. Um, because I felt like I had nothing to lose you know being from the background that I'm from you feel like you've got nothing to lose so you put yourself out there obviously you've got to find a balance between listening and respecting and all of those things come into play um, but yeah certainly I've always had the belief to say look I've always said to myself either I'm going to get in, either I'm going to get involved and try to make a change or I'm going to stop complaining I, I'm not one of those people who like to just talk about things and then don't see action I'm a very action orientated person so I thought to myself, look, if you care so much about your community, get involved, try to do something about it. Otherwise, if you're not going to do something about it, then just, you know, just don't talk about it at all. And when you're organising these events, do you sometimes see the equivalent of the 14-year-old you in the room? Yes. So, I mean, like some of the panellists, like, I mean, I'm 29 now, and I see some of the sort of panellists here at COP and on the panels as well. And certainly it gets to a stage where now you feel like, I think there's a bit of self-reflection needed on my part too, which is around how do you sort of create this room and spaces for those people to, to take the baton on from you to sort of to lead. Um, so it's down to people like me to sort of not hold on to sort of these positions forever and to sort of move on and bring up a new wave of generation of activists. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, great to speak to you. Likewise. Thanks. Thanks for joining the uh, Extreme Hangout and wish you every success. Thank you very much and thanks for having me.